He's your curly head mate who's ready to go Nobody knows snow like reggae no snow He's ready to blow like an atomic reactor This is the show where we call it Chill Factor Talk on the pow, are you ready right now? There's icons galore and they're ready to chow We got more power than a snowflower tractor Dropping the clutch, yeah this is Chill Factor G'day, I'm Reggae Ellis and welcome to the Chill Factor Podcast. Well, the up and down Australian snow season ended last weekend with Falls, Hotham and Buller closing lifts on Sunday afternoon. Unfortunately, the New South Wales resorts didn't quite make it to the closing weekend. Threadbow choosing to close its lifts a week early on September 26, while yet another COVID lockdown saw Perisher close lifts early for the first time in years last Thursday. Who'd have thought at the start of this winter that we'd see Melbourne and Sydney skiers trapped in lockdowns for close to the entire winter and the resorts having to reopen a number of times? Unbelievable. Well, at least there's a lot of talk about our borders reopening and it looks like a trip to the Northern Hemisphere could be back on the cards and I for one will have that ski bag packed as soon as I can. Well, in this episode of the Chill Factor podcast, I catch up with Jeremy Jones, free rider, big mountain snowboarder, environmentalist, and one of the most influential people in the snow industry. He's also one of the most interesting and has quite a story to tell, so let's drop in. Jeremy Jones, um, welcome to the Chill Factor podcast, and thanks for your time. Honoured. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, we've been um, trying to get this thing together for a while now. I remember when I was in Tahoe a couple of years ago, we were originally going to do it and you had to go off to do, I think it was the um, IMAX film with Sammy Carlson and um, Tora Bright. And then since then, you're a very busy man. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. You know, I would, I'm a busy man because I um, really like to snowboard a shit ton and and then when i'm not snowboarding i'm doing other sports and i always say like if i just went uh to an office nine to five five days a week i'd be pretty wouldn't be quite as hectic um but so life is good i'm getting my getting my play time in and juggling family uh sports and work yeah well i mean it's a good balance to have but i know um you've increased your sort of Demands on your time, obviously, with uh, Power, Predict Our Winters, which we'll go into a bit later, and also um, Jones Snowboards, and then all your film pro- projects. And I know two kids and uh, can take up a lot of time as well. Yeah, and I think um, if I look at it all, like I've always just tried to surround myself with really good people. And um, so I help kind of set the compass on where we're going in these different things, but definitely rely on a bunch of awesome people to help execute. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like a delegate as much of that stuff to measure. I mean, I feel lame saying it, but yeah, we have a new film coming out and some films I'm like really like in the editing suite and that's gnarly and um, happily not, deeply involved in the post-production on the latest film that's coming out. And um, so that, that's been nice, but I do have a book that I'm working on, which has been taking my time, but I do enjoy writing. So uh, it, it feels pretty good. Oh, that's great. So, I mean, you pretty well have a new film every year. What's uh, what's this year's release? So this year's film is called Mountain Revelations and it's with TGR and it's a, uh, Cool film because we I go into the mountains um, in Alaska, this really uh, area, the North Chugach, which is or the the high part of the Chugach that I've tried to get in there before. And it's just really, it's like this ice box. But um, so it's cold, intimidating, gets a ton of weather. And due to a lot of happenstance, um, trip kept getting pushed back and back and back. So we, it, it opened up. Um, we didn't go into the mountains until uh, like June 1st or something. Oh, wow. And yeah. because of that, we could go to this place. But um, it was with this black snowboarder, Ryan Hudson, who grew up on the street and snowboarding really like saved him. We, you know, learn a lot about his story. Um, and then this, um, Chilean snowboarder Rafa and we 
you know, as we're walking through the mountains, how some of these previous films have been, we talk about diversity in the mountains and their paths to the mountains and, um, and kind of learn, learn each other's stories in the mountains. Well, uh, you know, the mountains still are the main character of the yeah. film and dictate everything. Wow, sounds sounds pretty amazing. Now with um, you that the, like late June, so it's a long process. You're sort of behind schedule now, or is all the editing being done by TGR by brothers? <laughs> um, yeah, it's all done with TGR, and we got some good editors working on it. But we're definitely in in like extreme panic mode because uh, <laughs> yeah, the film comes out uh, October 27th. And oh wow, a month. Yeah, in a month. So we're, it's, we got some great people working on it, guys that have been working on uh, a bunch of the previous films. And, but no, we are, yeah, there's, <laughs> it's a stressful time um, on that, in the editing suite. It, yeah. it is. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you talk about TGR, Teton Gravity Research. It's, uh, you know, your brothers, Steve and Todd, more or less, you know, that's their, their life. They've been doing it for what, 26 years now. Um, I think something like that. So are you yeah. strongly involved with TGR or is it just sort of, um, you know, that's the production company that you use or you work? Yeah, with? it's more, um, the production company. I mean, it's family. So yeah. like I'm tapped in and when we talk, you know, we talk business and if I saw something I thought, um, they could do better or what have you, then they're going to, you know, we're talking about that stuff. Yeah. So when we are together, it's a lot of that, but, um, but yeah. And then the film side, those are just such, um, it's like every time you make a film, you're like, I can't believe I'm doing this again. This is crazy. <laughs> and so it's this crazy journey and, uh, it's nice to be with my brothers on, this journey because it can get it's just the the films are a shit ton of work on all yep. all stages from raising the money to shooting it's like you raise the money and you high five and everyone's excited and then you start out shooting and then mother nature becomes you know the main character and that's a battle and then you do that and you high five and then you go into post-production and that's the gnarliest part. And that is, you know, a deep, dark journey. And you high five that. And then we put the film on the road and then going on the road is, um, is a real beat down as well. So the whole yeah. thing's a wild process, but grateful that I'm doing it with my brothers. Yeah. We talk about the journey. I mean, I suppose, I mean, the journey for you, you know, started over on the East Coast in Maine and, you know, your evolution or your growth into a, um, you know, the premier, one of the premier big mountain riders in the world. I mean, how did it start with you? Your brothers and yourself started over in Maine, presumably a snow family, your parents are skiers. Yeah, we actually um, started out, I was born and raised on Cape Cod, Massachusetts at yep. uh, 200 feet above sea level. And it, you know, have a huge family still on Cape Cod, basically 98% of my family is right. still lives within two miles of where they grew up. Um, but my grandfather fell in love with the mountains later in life in Vermont. Um, and, and then my parents, um, got hooked also later in life like out of college yeah and they started dragging us up to the mountains and it was um it, you know it's it, totally different than now with with my kids like i'm on the mountains with my kids yeah. i just cherish my time on the mountains with my kids my parents were like we drive to the mountain together like get out of the car maybe take the first lift up and we were gone and <laughs> It's like, see, at the end of the day, we got our friends, we're doing our thing, you go do your thing, and and which was awesome. I mean, just total freedom. And yeah. um and yeah, my brothers and I just fell in love with it. And we were it was a five hour drive every weekend we would do, and um definitely battles in the car, but 
it's wild how much that uh, just changed our our life. And I remember being on a chairlift, and we, you know, we'd see who were the best skiers on the mountains, and we'd get, you know, we'd try to like follow them and and get to ride the lifts with, or you know, try to ride the lifts with them if we could. And and I remember. Uh, the best guy, uh, he was like, we're on the lift with him and, and we're like, how much do you ski? He's like, every day, man. And we're like, oh my God, that's incredible. And we're like, so what do you do? And he's like, oh, I paint houses in the summer and I'm a bartender at night. And, and I remember going home because my dad worked really hard. Um, and some weekends he couldn't come up and I mean, we wouldn't see him all week and he just busted his ass. Uh, and then, you know, so we could go skiing. And I came home and I'm like, dad, you wouldn't believe it, man. We're like, you can do it every day if you just bartend and paint houses. And my brothers and I grew up painting houses and in the restaurant industry. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, the, uh, the idyllic life of a ski bum was just laid out in front of you. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and your, your progression as a snowboarder, obviously attracted by snowboarding. I know um, yeah, uh, Life of Glide, you said it was your eight years old when you stood on a snowboard and then you got into GS racing for, that was the start of your whole career as a, a racer. Yeah. So I, yeah, I got on a snowboard and it just, um, it wasn't until like when I first got on, we were hiking and the, uh, you couldn't ride the lifts. And then once it was allowed on the lifts, I was, I was 12 when it got allowed on the lifts. And I just was like, holy shit, this is what I got to do. Um, I am doing this. And there wasn't even really such a thing as pro snowboarding and hardly an industry. Um, but everything else went away. Uh, started competing just regionally, showed up to a half pipe contest, was the first one I did. It was one of the original half pipe contests on the East Coast, got third place. And then I showed up uh, a year later to a race and I won that. And then I kept um, going to these events and kind of, I'd get like top five in half pipe, but I just kept winning like every race that I would do. And it was a real um, gateway or pathway for me to go and start traveling the world. And by 16, I like I started realizing because we had regional pros that were doing well globally, but they'd come back and race regionally. And I'd be like, wow, I'm like in the top five with these guys. So at 16, I did my first pro comp. I got third and made some money and then i like and at that point i just started like going contest to contest trying to stay on the pro tour and that was a real passport to the world was racing but all along it was like i would as soon as like th that took me to europe for the first time took yeah. me all over the west and all i want to do was free ride so as soon as races were done i'd go and free ride yeah and then, and with that, and I think, you know, the, uh, well, yeah, the technical necessity or requirements of racing, that's obviously come into, you, you know, how to use your edges in some of those gnarly places you found yourself in uh, not that long afterwards. Yeah. I mean, the background, and we've seen it much more in skiing where these phenomenal, I mean, you know, the Darren Robbses of the world that just go from a ski race or Cody Townsend. I mean, there's so many of them that, um, roll into big mountains and just take it to the next level. And yeah, the, the training, I mean, I trained really serious, uh, on with racing like day after day, I had a really serious coach and like, you have to make, um, the perfect turn around yeah. these gates that is just chewed up, bumpy, icy, what have you. So the fundamentals learned there you bring that into uh the the big mountains and powder is just a piece of cake and then the other big factor is the um you have to memorize runs racing and you break yeah. them down into because you you know you got to know where you got you got to be coming into these sections going really fast and so it really was the perfect uh way to like develop these fundamentals that work so well free riding yeah well the free riding you know like yeah as we said you're um 
reputational, you know, as one of the premier big mountain free riders in the world. I know you just love free riding all terrain, but how did that develop, you know, like evolve into, you know, annual trips to Alaska, um, Nepal, places like that? So when I was 16, um, I was, it was like two weeks before I was going to go and do my first pro contest. I went to Jackson Hole, Wyoming for the first time where my brother, my oldest brother, Steve, had just moved and I didn't even know there was a resort in Wyoming. Um, And so we show up there, go up the Jackson Hole tram and it's just like, there's really no cut runs. It's like all just, I mean, it is extreme rocky terrain and they're pointing out all this uh, stuff that they ride and I couldn't even see the lines, but they'd put me on the lines and then I could follow their tracks and I would ride them and they'd be like, wow, that was gnarly. You rode that. And I don't, you know, it's just very natural. And um, pretty quickly I was like, man, if this pro tour stuff doesn't work, no big deal. I'm moving to Jackson Hole. I'm going to be a dishwasher and ride the tram every day. Yeah, exactly. So I had like no pressure then. And um, so, yeah, I just, and then Alaska, same deal, followed my brothers up to Alaska. They're like, you got to come to Alaska. And I was um, 19 the first time I went to Alaska and just, brother put me on a incredible uh run the sing berlin wall i don't know if you yeah. might have yeah um and just did like sunset light and i came over the blind roll and just made like the biggest turns of my life i'm going really fast and total control and by the end of that trip i'm just like everything's changed like i gotta figure out how to be here every spring and, and like you talk about your brothers, were they filming a TGR film up there at the time? No, this was like a couple of years before TGR started. Right. Didn't Todd, you say you were going up there skiing, free skiing? Just a- yeah, so they started out just like, I mean, the beauty of um, Alaska back in the day is it was a um, gathering of people from all over the country, kind of like the it seemed like it brought in like the best ski bums and it was, and you'd camp in the parking lot and you, it was like a plane ride was like 25 bucks and a heli bump was 35. There were no guides. And so it was very uh, accessible and it was just these kind of the best people around uh, riding. And then, and then pretty quickly after that, they start Coom started a guiding op. My brothers guided for him. Yeah. And then um, it, it was like, then they started going commercial fishing, and it was on their second year of commercial fishing, probably their third year in Alaska, where they had bought a film camera um, and started shooting, and because they were guiding standard films. Uh, with the Hatchet Brothers and kind of guiding like the best snowboarding going on in the world at that time. And so they really were seeing the whole yeah. process and they're like, man, I think like we can do this. Yeah. And then, and, and then they did. It's pretty amazing how raw it was and then how things have <laughs> developed reasonably quickly, you know, talking like 25 years ago. It sort of probably sounds a long, if you said it to one of your kids, 25 years, I'll go, dad, what are you talking about? But um, <laughs> it has evolved. Yeah, so- it's amazing. It's still, they've been able to adapt and evolve and still, um, still pretty damn raw though. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I remember talking to Harrow when he'd always come back from his trip living, uh, you know, at the back of a car in Alaska and I'd always get a little bit envious, but he, uh, you know, you got to have that sort of, Free mind, just keep going, though, you know. The uh, life of a millionaire without the million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the art of ski bombing. Uh, yeah. Arrow, Arrow could write that book. Yeah, he's actually writing a book at the moment. <laughs> that he should name it that, the art of ski bombing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let him know. Hey, uh, and so when do you, looking back, when do you feel like you thought, hang on, I'm a professional free-riding snowboarder? When did you think, I'm making my living? without having to wash dishes. <laughs> well, you know, it's like, and I, I speak for, I'm sure almost all athletes is like, 
you're you never know if the contract you sign is the last contract you're going to sign and it's like i barely graduated high school i have no like trade skills um so i never i never really was like able to go and say like oh my god i've made it it's like fuck man it's psyched i got two more years of doing this hopefully i can re-up and and just have been um on that program and it probably wasn't until i started you know a couple of years into jones snowboards uh where i'm like okay this is like the you know the most stable say uh income that i have but even that is like you know the the winter's fickle and it's just like man hopefully it snows and it does all that and we just launch outerwear which is this huge bet so once again it's like fuck just get through this year and let's fingers crossed it works (laughs) so it's been like 25 years of that yeah yeah well um we'll talk about joe yeah joe and snowboards uh what 10 years in now Yes. So, you know, how, you know, starting your own, you know, you sort of, matter of fact, yeah, you know, we started Jones Snowboard. We're just doing, um, launching the outerwear. I mean, you know, a professional snowboarder, you, you know, a life where you're sort of, you know, as you said, waiting for that next two year contract. How did it start? What, like, you said, you know what, I'm going to make my own snowboards. Um, I like to design my own boards, or, you know, it's not an easy thing. No, it's definitely, um, yeah, you. It's again. You're not gonna. I can tell you because I talked to him. But I, you're not gonna find a lot of advisors um, out there. I was like turned away a contract, and you know my buddies who advised me, they're like, "You're crazy to do that." And it was during the financial crisis in 2008, and um, I just it. I was like. 30 had a newborn but i was like man i 30 especially at that time was considered really old in snowboarding so i'm like man i don't know how many more contracts i have and i'd gotten really into splitboarding and i just none of these companies wanted to make splitboards and it also coincided with this like rocker revolution and I was very close with McConkie at that time. And there was, and tapped in with these skiers and I was seeing what they were making with this directional rocker. At that time, we just kind of had like the LibTech banana rocker. And I like knew there was huge progress to be made with fr- different alternative free ride shapes. And prior to that, I've been really stale. And I just was like, man, I know there's a niche out there that like wants a better split board, wants rocker or like alternative, like new shapes for free riding. And then I uh, met the Nidecker brothers who are these young kids, fifth generation manufacturers and really hit it off with them. And so it was like that combo of, um, and, and I was like, yeah, I just was kind of like, I'm going to do it my way at this point. Um, yeah. And, and cause I probably, you know, at best I got one or two more contracts left. Yeah. Well, okay. So Joe snowboards, you're inspired by uh, split boards and, you know, wanting to design your own free ride boards. Would you say it's a backcountry free ride brand still? Is that what it is? Yeah. I mean, we, um, yeah, it's why well, I mean, that is definitely what it started as, but we do have, you know, our number one selling snowboard is a mountain twin, which is a real yeah. like all mountain do everything board. So, um, yeah, we really, I mean, we make snowboards for riding the whole mountain for sure. Yeah. Uh, but if that's like more of a, if you want to, you know, kind of do that with more of a freestyle focus, we have that. If you want, to go slow and noodle around on a short little powder board. We got that. We got the series free ride boards, obviously. So yeah. I'd say it's more like an all mountain top to bottom snowboard company. Yeah. Yeah. You see, see a lot of them around in uh, Australia the last couple of years. There's a few, few of the core riders here in Threadboa on Jones snowboards. And I think, I think they got the, it's got a sort of, um, 
Well, my 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 impression is that like a, a premium snowboard, you know. It definitely. We have never. Um, yeah, it is. It it definitely a upper middle end and up. I mean, I'm I. I, it's just like when we dig into materials and stuff, it's, um, you know, once you start riding these, you yeah. know, faster bases and the better cores. And so, and so we've, we definitely have stayed away from um, that kind of lower price point, um, price competitive zone. And it's just, it's a crowded world. And, and I've always been, I don't know, I just, yeah, my passion is is Ben for these like even if it's just this like fun freestyle all mountain board, I still want a fast base on that thing. I yeah. can't cross the line on a slow base. Yeah. Well, when you're um, riding in resort, you do you have take you know, how different your in resort board to your out the backyard board <laughs> when you're hiking. Yeah. So I I ride a resort a lot, um, which you know, probably, probably like 50 days a year. And, um, and I ride, you know, my, really my favorite, the resort days that I like are not the super hyped out sunny Saturday pow days. Mm -hmm. It's those like hard pack Tuesday, gray sky, nobody on the lift. And I can just like spin laps. Um, so I ride a variety of different boards from like the fully ducked out freestyle, board that I'm going to ride switch more than I'm going to ride regular to in the spring, I'll ride these like really short surf, uh, like 142, like mini, you know, our surf shapes that I'll make these like crazy high angle tight stances. So I'm all over the map and then, or like hard pack groomer days, big board, super well tuned, wide kind of like full power stance so i i'm a variety guy and i'm kind of like if i'm not excited to and i'm very lucky to be able to do this but i'm like i will walk into my board zone and be like what is gonna really make today exciting and so i'm always changing shit up yeah well um you're talking about your resort riding because you're you're living in um, Tahoe now and Truckee yeah. and um, Squaw, well, Palisades Tahoe to adopt yeah. the name is your <laughs> home mountain. I've spent a lot of time there in Tahoe over the years. Um, that mountain, that resort offers a, a lot of variety and, you know, I've seen, um, I think, what was it? There was a day, I can't remember what it was in, but you, a great quote of yours Um I think you're riding spring snow, even hard packed. And you said, if you're yeah, into snow and the only good day you have is a powder day, you're in the wrong sport. Something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. I've definitely said that. And I mean, it's true. You know, I mean, it's just like, man, what a, the reality is, especially like lip service powder. I mean, it's just so, um, that's just not happening every day no. unless you live someplace. I don't know where, you know, you get in a good cycle or what have you. So what, and I would just say like what I am so grateful for is with my surfing and my snowboarding as I'm like 30, probably, I don't, you know, maybe even getting in towards 40 years of doing this stuff. And the fact that I am more uh, like my, like gets have so much joy out of like very below average conditions. Uh, I feel very grateful. Like my, and I think that was always part of my soul. I mean, we loved our, we, we've always called them love of sport days. Yeah. And we grew up with those where it's like, oh, this is sick, no lift lines because it like rained last night. And now it's super cold and it's a sheet of ice. And we would make riding ice like so fun and like, man, let's see how many turns you can do on this like glazed ice. And yeah. this is sick. Nobody's here. Everyone thinks it sucks. And we're having so much fun. And like, this is what it's all about. And and so that's um, that's only grown with me over time and and i love that because yeah if you need sunny powder to have a good day that's just a that's a tough life 
Yeah, it is. Imagine, <laughs> like growing up in May, that's a really tough life. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm here in Threadbow in Australia. If I was just waiting for powder days, I wouldn't, I'd be never up there, you know. But, yeah, or sitting on the lift. I've been to Threadbow. It's an amazing mountain. And if you're on the lift going like, oh, man, I wish it was better. Yeah. It's like, fuck, dude, buy a file, tune your edges and see if you can hold on the ice. Yeah, exactly. Well, I suppose in many ways Australia has a reputation of being a bit like the East Coast where you, huh. you know, where you grew up uh, skiing and snowboarding. You know, we have our, definitely have our really good days, but then, you know, low altitude mountains get a lot of wind, a lot of, you know, mixed precipitation, as they like to say. But um, I'm just looking at the hill now and it'd be a fun day up there, you know, but um, it's, it's what it is. So how do you end up in Tahoe, settling in, in Tahoe with Squaw, sorry, Palisades as your, your home turf? Um, yeah, I, I think it was the summers and proximity to the coast, really. Right. Uh, and just a nice base i need i mean i love my brothers but having a little bit having you know a thousand miles of distance is not the worst (laughs) thing i think it's helped our relationship um and but no i i really do think it's the ocean uh and the proximity to water i i lived i lived in wyoming um many you know multiple different times and many years and i'm and i love it but i the beauty is I have my brothers there. So yeah. I still like, it's still my, if there was a second home, it's Wyoming. I mean, yeah. depending on the winter, I'm, you know, yeah. there quite a bit and. Family um, Christmas in Wyoming. <laughs> we do family Christmas in Wyoming and yeah. So I'm there, you know, three to five times uh, a winter. Um, but yeah. And I think the, um, I love the Sierra snowpack with how simple it is from an avalanche perspective. I've always said the Sierra is a great place to grow old in the backcountry uh, because you know it's just a much simpler snowpack. And and right. with that comes we're not choking on powder uh, nearly as much as say you are in the Tetons, but we have smooth, soft surfaces that are stable a lot. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I was there for that winter of, it must be early 2019. Yeah, it was early 2019. We were there for eight weeks, and I think about 11 metres of snow <laughs> fell during that. I had to bribe the kids. You know, Joey was digging the car out every morning, you know. But um, that's amazing how you get those massive, big, just two metres, bang, overnight, you know. Pretty wild snowstorms. Yeah, radical stuff. Um, and yeah, I, I I prefer my snow over a longer period of time, but it is really <laughs> fun to just get swamped by a storm. Yeah. Well, talking, um, you know, Alaska. I was um, one of the gnarliest things I've ever seen anyone do. I think was that Sh- Shangri La descent. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, you talked before when you were 30, you had a newborn, um, you know, married with two kids. Now, how old are the kids now? 15, 16? Yeah, good, good, yeah, good, good guess. They're uh, 13 and 16. 13 and 16. I remember meeting them when uh, here in Threadbow that time. But there's, you know, like parenthood, how does that affect your approach to some of the terrain you put yourself in? I know you're very calculated. You don't take unnecessary risks, but, you know, you've got a family, you've got yeah. kids, that affects it. It definitely does. And the, the problem with the with the snow is, and, you know, avalanches and stuff is, you know, I wish that it was like my close calls were all on the super gnarly lines, but, man, I, like... I've definitely had really serious scenarios on terrain that 30, you know, mellow terrain that, you know, hopefully I'm riding when I'm 70. Yeah. Um, So then it becomes, but yeah, the weight of um, going into serious lines with kids, because now you're affecting other people's life's it's it's heavy and it makes um it makes me do my homework it makes me not skip steps it it um just really hyper aware uh knowing what's at stake out there and um but it's also like 
you know, there's a point where you, you do got to live your life. You don't want to be reckless. Uh, yeah. and I definitely am not reckless and, but life is fragile and, I think, you know, I respect the hazards. I'm constantly every year I'm re up, you know, just, we do training stuff as a crew. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I think that I, it's just part of who I am and, and I don't want to just go into a padded room and yeah. you know, make sure that I live till I'm a hundred. Yeah, well, yeah, it's true. I mean, and your kids are both uh, getting quite accomplished in the snow themselves. Um, obviously, you know, they've got access on their doorstep in winter. Um, I've seen some proud dad moments on your Instagram, your <laughs> social feed. A lot of proud, proud dad moments. I mean, I, I mean, I'll just say that these sports, like, obviously, we've shaped our lives around, and I know you're a father, so you can relate to this too but when you like i've i mean they're incredibly special in my life but to raise kids and then introduce them to these sports and then be able to spend time with them whether it's in the mountains in the ocean on a bike trail backpacking what have you it's just such rich experiences yeah and so you could not like skiing, not like surfing, but if you're a serious parent and want to be close to your kids, get your kids into it, man, because it is it's way better than just sitting on the side of the soccer field, which I do plenty of and I love, <laughs> and cheering them on. Because once yeah. you're on a mountain or in the ocean or what have you, you're now, you're like your teammates out there, your riding partners. And to share that stuff is... Um, it shows you the full depth and value of these sports. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, like yeah, like you said, they're they're riding buddies, and it's um pretty awesome rather than yelling at the referee, stupid. <laughs> Which I have. Been uh, with that, I I will say that like I am not trying to raise um these you know professional snowboarders, and it, but. It's, for sure my son is like he's really into it and he's charging and there's you know there is a pretty obvious pathway yeah. for him and it's and where i live in tahoe i mean starting in first grade kids are getting pulled out of school uh you know they're missing fridays and pulled out of school that, yeah. you know because we have this or my community is creator uh, there, there's been a lot of olympians and gold medalists that have come up through this community so every parent's like oh my god i want my kid to be a gold medalist and da, 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 you know and they just like push 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 and and they're you know and i'm like super strict my kids go to school right full time and you know and i get what coach i think this coach is better we're switching mountains and i'm like you're crazy yeah, but now my son is in eighth grade and, um, you know, he's old enough and he's starting to win a bunch. And so this will be the first uh, year. COVID was good for us where the kids got out of school midday. And so, but this will be the first year where he will um, get pulled out like at lunch um, one or two yeah. days. Yeah. No, I can totally understand that at the moment it's happening here too, but like it's that, uh, in life of glide, you don't think of your kids, you know, find what makes you happy and do it often. That is the an ultimate quote as a bit of sage advice for any kid. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Cause I yeah, but Life of Glide is my all-time favorite movie that I've ever made. Yeah. Um and that the end there where I'm with my kids in the at the lake where you know it's just so damn cold. And, I know. And getting so much joy out of this little chop, and um, yeah, that's one of my favorite quotes in the that I've had in a film. Well, that film, obviously, you know, your love of surfing comes through of that, you know, and the working with Chris Christensen on the design of the powerboard. You know, you talk about Tom Curran's first wave at Jeffrey's Bay, like, 
an amazing, um, still that's so, you know, I, I was watching it recently. And I was, it's just contemporary. It, it, yeah. Just beautiful surfing. Um, when did surfing start for you? Like you grew up in Maine. I know there's waves on the East Coast. Did you surf there? Oh, yeah. Um, and we grew, so my first sideways sport was skateboarding. Yeah. And it was kind of um, like Bones Brigade era, the Powell Dogtown, or not Dogtown um, dog Decks, but past that, you know, yeah. like the 80s. And, um, and then, so naturally, like surfing, we got hooked on, but I was 45 minutes from the beach and it was really hard to get rides. Nobody, we didn't know any surfers. So we basically, did everything wrong that you could do. We're surfing little potato chips. We were putting spring suits over full suits and because uh, it was so cold and didn't know what an onshore wind, offshore wind or what have you. So we started, I mean, I started, I probably got serious about surfing at 14, but um, I mean, it took years just to go down the line uh, clean. Yeah. And then I do so much snowboarding that, uh, prior to kids, I was probably getting in like 70 days a year of surfing. And these days it's, That's you know, good. A good year, it's, it's 40 days. So, I mean, I'm a competent surfer, but, uh, I, you know, and I love it. I love being, uh, you know, climbing same way where I'm just like, a, you know, middle of the road, uh, athlete, you know, not at the top of the totem pole. I'm yeah. like mid-level in the lineup, scrapping for my waves. And I just think it's humbling and, and, and fun to have a sport with like obvious room for improvement. And, um, and I just, yeah, I love it. And it's really for me. Um, I really try to, um, sometimes I, you know, be like, oh, we want to shoot you surfing. I'm like, dude, I don't, like, no cameras, man. I just, like, this <laughs> <is> for me. <laughs> but, well, you saw that life of Glide, you know, I'm a skier and a surfer, but watching that, as a surfer watching Life of Glide, I'm going, oh, <laughs> maybe I should have stood sideways 30 years ago. But um, right. it's... uh well done, reggae. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. You can always try something new. But, um, yeah, with that... Uh, yeah, the life of Glide and the surfing. Lake Tahoe, like it's always intrigued me. When I was there a couple of years ago, I saw someone out there and I see some of the Tahoe locals like Scott Gaffney, seems like a super yep. keen grommet, you know, you, you know, filmmaker and director. And I'm going, wow, you guys are just, that's hardcore. Really it's hardcore. Scott Gaffney, shout out to him, man. We, I had my coldest surf I've ever had and I've surfed Alaska and, you know, the tip of New Zealand, da, 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 da. and I, this past winter, February, and I don't really, like, that's a east wind, which is this really cold winter wind, and I don't really surf it, but my daughter's really into surfing. So we go and um, surf, and it is so cold, and I'm in, like, the proper gear, not a six mil, but five mil hoodie, booties, so da, 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 da. And I think we surfed for like an hour and a half and I've learned from Gaffney, you drive there in your suit, you come home in your suit, like don't ever try to change in the deal. I mean, some of the, it's definitely the coldest I've ever been is yeah. like trying to take a wetsuit off um, after surfing Tahoe. But I talked to Scott that day and he surfed six hours that day. And I mean, I was, it, I felt like, you know, it seemed like it took me like three days to warm up from that surf. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. there's a hardcore local scene. And the thing is, is it's like, it's, it's a desperate situation. You're sitting there, you look out on the beach and you're, you're at the beach looking out and going, oh, I think there's a wave, but you start going out and you start linking these, um, like now I kind of know how to surf, surf it. And, and you're like, oh, am I even going to catch a wave? And then you start getting some waves. And then next thing you know, you're driving home that night going, fuck, man, I surfed today. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I can imagine, like, sitting there surfing and then you just got the, you know, looking across to the West Shore. and The views are incredible. <clears throat> ah, it's an amazing place, Tahoe. It's, like, one of my favorite places on Earth, definitely. And, um, yeah, all these things, you know, your love of, you know, 
the purity of snowboarding, the mountains, the environment and surfing leads me to the obvious uh, next chapter of your life, which is the environmental um, commitment and, you know, the founding of Protect Our Winters. Like kind of I was looking at the, you know, that was, what, 15 years ago when you're, what, 30 yeah. or 31, a young dude, you decide, oh, let's start this sort of, environmental movement based on the in and around snow in the mountains. It's a, a big call. Yeah. I mean, ignorance is blessed with all this stuff, but uh, no, I just, it was, um, I knew we needed to do something as an industry. I was seeing what um, to the mountains, what scientists were, were really clearly stating. And I, knew the industry. I knew that like, man, I know the editor of Transworld. I could probably get a full page ad out of that guy. I know TGR. I'm like, I can get a little, you know, PSA yeah. at the front of that movie. I know um, one of the first meetings I had was with Burton because I really uh, didn't want it to be like a Jeremy Jones foundation. Uh, yeah. So like the early ads, I always featured other athletes and stuff. And cause it was like, it needed, I, you know, I needed to gather the whole industry yeah. around it. And, um, and, and that was kind of when I did jump off that cliff, I was like, you know, either like people surround it and like get fired up and collectively we do this or it's going to go away. Yeah, well, yeah. And cause I can't, put this thing on my back for years on end and be like, I'm just going to be a martyr here, marching yeah. solo. And, um, and it's exactly what happened. The industry was just like, we're in, we're in, we're in. Yeah. And with like, who did you get on board athlete wise straight away? Did it, you know, did you just call up? Well, you would have known like-minded people. Yeah. God, that is a good, um, I mean, I feel like I knew kind of the like-minded people. And so they were, Definitely like uh, Chris Davenport for sure was like, I mean, he was on the board early on Um, the, I mean, the snowboarders, some of them, I mean, a lot of them have like moved on to other parts of their life, but in general, like I could kind of see the vibe Uh, Gretchen Blyler. She was also super instrumental snowboarder uh, Olympian and um, she also was on the board of directors to start out. So they were like top um, people there. But in general, it's like the the athletes, because they're out there every day. So they see yeah. the change. And if, you know, David Weiss, um, he's a skier Olympian. He's been amazing for us. He's come to Capitol Hill with us a bunch and to the state house because Nevada's a key state for us and um, well, so yeah I mean it's interesting how what power does you mentioned going to Capitol Hill the state house so your sort of um, MO like operation has been to to lobby you know yeah. you're a lobbyist not as strong as the fuel industry but you know I I wish we were we're taking notes <laughs> yeah but I suppose I mean there's a lot of ways people can make you know um, you know, reduce their carbon footprint personally and is step by step. So rather, and I know Powell do give um, advice and on how to do that, how you can possibly do that, but it seems to me you've, you've taken on the big end of town, so to speak. Like you've had to go to Washington, <laughs> put the suit and tie on and present. Like that's pretty gnarly, I reckon. It's gnarly for sure. I mean, I definitely like, you know, I have like a process when I'm getting ready for a, a line where I kind of like, use breath um, to just slow things down, deep breaths. And, and I, you know, I've testified in DC and, and I'm like, Holy shit, man, this is like what it feels like to go ride a line, you know, a fall, you die line, which is crazy. But yeah, we, so from the get go, my deal was like uh, surround myself with climate experts and, say what do we need to do and i definitely did not think that the front lines of climate would have been um you know capitol hill and going to washington dc but quick quickly they were like look uh 
riding bikes to work, that's great. And light bulb, changing light bulbs is awesome. But we, the only way we're going to get large scale CO2 reduction that we need is through policy. Yeah. You need to rally the industry to come together, what we now call the outdoor state, which is 50 million people um, that, that identify very closely. Their life is, um, you know, revolves around the outdoors. Uh, if we could, and we, we're not there right now, to be clear, if we could get all those people that need clean air, clean water, and a healthy planet to come together and say, we want you to enact policy that ensures future generations have clean air, clean water, and a healthy planet. We would kick ass on this issue. Yeah, well, I mean, as you said, like it's 50 million people. It's a, it's a massive big percentage. And I, I think when people start thinking about that, the number of people who do spend time outdoors, you know, it is even here, a small country, we've only got like 22 million population, you know, it's totally different, mm -hmm. but we've got to, massive environment that's under a lot of pressure you know but unfortunately you know in this country uh it's the most divisive issue i think there is running at the moment even now with the uh talks in glasgow next month our prime yep. minister is thinking of not going because in the government now it's half and half you know yeah. one minister came out the other day said we'll be mining coal to the cows come home so to speak you yeah. know um, were you surprised, and I know it's divisive in the US as well, were you surprised by how divisive it is? Once you, you know, like you cop a yeah. lot of black, you know. Yeah, and so I, it's actually like Australia and the US are the closest two countries, I think, on this issue. Um, yeah. A lot of fossil fuel extraction um, and... Yeah, I mean, and, and it's not as we peel back the the layers on like, what created the climate deniers? Why is it so divisive? The carbon calculator actually came from the fossil fuel industry. Let's make everyone point fingers at each other and say, you drive yeah. the wrong car, climate change is because of you. That, you know, that is um, come from them. And they want us fighting each other and they don't want us having, you know, open discussions, which is my last film is about like discussing with people with different views. Yeah. And, um, and we just don't do that as society right now. And understanding, um, so I, I understand there's been hundreds of millions of dollars spent to create these climate deniers that I can literally, I look at them on my Instagram feed and I'm like, Oh, what do you know? White male, um, that, you know, lives in this state, da, 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 da. I'm like in between this age demographic. And I'm like, yeah, that's been laid out in the memos of Exxon. We're going after white males of this age in this region. Yeah. We're doing it in this manner. Yeah. What do you know? They're yelling at me. So, and it's important for me to um, understand that because I have more empathy. I don't take it as personal. And, and, well, you know, I was, was going to say because you know I've seen on your, you know, Instagram the comments. If you make a point on something, or there's some particular climate event happening, or you know, talk about talk about Greta Thunberg yeah. or something. Next thing, bang, you get hammered, and I'm going, <laughs> you're following, <laughs> like you know who you're following. You're just doing this to. Yeah, so they can abuse you. Every well, day. some of them are, um, are are professional trolls. Some of them are bots. Um, and look, I my intentions are pure. They're backed by the world scientific community. Exactly. And if you think I'm the world's worst person for what I'm doing, that's on you, man. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, well, so be it, yeah. Well, you talked about your last film, which I thought was really interesting, you know, Purple Mountains, going into the US election, where you're talking, you know, the colour red and blue, you know, and you asked the question, when did the environment become such a divisive issue based on your politics, whether you're conservative yeah. or liberal, when it kind of never used to be that way? And it's it's happened here in Australia and it's interesting there is a ch change, and I think there's a classic example um, 
uh, Zali Stegel, who skier, she was Australia's, won the first medal at the Olympics, and her brother actually was a snowboard racer, but she took on as an independent, like she's a barrister, obviously very intelligent, and her whole thing um, as uh, politically was climate change and doing something about it. And at the time, the area she went, the former Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, some conservative climate change denialist, and his party had held that seat for as long as I've been born, and bang, she beat him because there's these people, yeah, these people are sort of, you know, that's a conservative, quite um, socioeconomically not that diverse but wealthy area, but it does show you can't just... You know, at least here it's not just, you know, a left-wing um, belief, policy, you know. Uh, it's, it's good to see that there are both sides of uh, politics sort of embracing it a bit. And that, you know, someone like Zali Stair get it. he's now an independent in the Australian Parliament. That's a, a big move. Yeah, and look, the, you know, the, there's a lot of stuff to get um, depressed about on you know, we've been getting our ass kicked on climate is the fact of the matter, but the, we have the solutions. The cheapest form of energy to be brought online now is wind and solar. Yeah. Um, the youth is as a much different voter record than the baby boomers. Yeah. Um, and so there's no doubt that we, you know, it, unfortunately we're up against the biggest, industry in the world, the fossil fuel industry. And I don't know about Australia, but in the U.S., it's the most subsidized industry. Oh, yeah, same here too, yeah. They spend more money on um, lobbying Congress than all other industries combined. Um, so, man, it's a, it's a daunting uh, opponent, but we have science, we have facts, we have youth, um, and the, there's no question that, as much as they try and, and have done an amazing job of slowing down progress, it's happening. The problem is we need real urgency on it. Like yes, we're on a 30 year path. No doubt we're on a 30 year path. We need to be on a 10 year path. And that's what we're, we're battling. Well, and yeah, you talk about how you used to see the mountains and you can see it. Like Harrow was telling me Tasman Glacier, in yeah, New Zealand Alps, where he spent a lot of time, he reckons when he was there two years ago, he hadn't been there for seven or eight years, and he, it kind of blew him out because it was there right in front of him um, how this glacier yeah. had receded so much. And, you know, sometimes you, I, I imagine you feel like you're just bashing your head against a brick wall. How do you maintain your optimism? You know, you must feel like just going, you know what, grab the family, let's just head up to the hills and go snowboarding. Well, that's exactly how I maintain my optimism is um – is I make a point to, to get outside every day and, and leading, you know, the real like stressy like times for me is leading up to these elections. Cause I need to know that I did everything. It's like climbing a mountain. Like I can, I can turn around no problem um, on a mountain. Cause I know that I've done everything I could for success um, and let the chips fall where they fall. It's like, we bring our best effort to these expeditions and, um, and then you're kind of like, let's see what happens. And, and with the climate, that's the, the same deal. And then I just, um, yeah, I mean, I will be on these like speaking tours during the elections. And I mean, I'll literally like, look on Google maps and see a green spot and like pull over on the highway and go run into the woods for 20 minutes and just like sit under a cool tree and just recharge and go, yes. let's do this. Um, and fuck man. you know, it's like we're in a society's in a no fall zone and, um, you know, failure is not an option and, yeah. And I am in the position that I'm in because people have supported me as a snowboarder. Um, they show up to my films. I'm sure some of them, you know, obviously there's a good amount that are don't like my climate policy, yeah. but I just like to not do something and 
I'd have a hard time looking at my kids and, you know, who knows, potential grandkids and say, you know what, I had this opportunity and I didn't like it because Joe Blow yelled at me online from friggin' his basement in Arizona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just look at it and go, I mean, I admire it. I admire your commitment. I think it's awesome that you're still doing it, you know, because I can understand, I can comprehend how the pressures that are becoming coming to you from each way. But as you said, you've got, you've got the mountains. I mean, you know, the love of the mountains and snowboarding, it stretches back. You said, you know, getting to 40 years of doing it. Um, you know, what the purity of snowboarding and snow and for ski, for skiing for skiers, what do you put it down to, you know? What's that thing that when you're out there just makes you who you are? Yeah, I mean, I've thought a lot about it because as you have, man, I mean, we're in the same boat where it's like, fuck, I've spent so much of my life doing this. Um, and there, I think it boils down to, it's really, it's like idiot's guide to present moment, meaning like, you roll down that mountain. Yeah. You're in this present state, um, which is, you know, we're learning about the flow state and there's all sorts of gurus on flow state. And, and it's like this hip thing. It's like, fuck man, just hop on that chairlift and go down the mountain. And like, you're going to be in a psycho flow state. Um, I think it's incredibly creative uh, you know, every run's a little bit different. Every day's a little bit different. So that's wakening up that, um, kind of as my dad, who's a painter likes to say, like, get on the other side of your brain and, and go for a ride. I think we're doing that. Um, yeah. it, it is this like artistic, um, movement and, and thing that we're doing. I think it's, uh, where we're most connected with nature, which is also proven, to be very um, mentally beneficial. Uh, ideally, it, you know, for me, it definitely, um, even though, you know, you can definitely get hurt doing it, it, I love it so much that it, it's out of like the want to keep doing it, that it's forced me to become more healthy um, on all fronts just so I can keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, and it's like uh, I think it was Jeff Hackman, the original, the Hawaiian surfer, said it was all about the glide, yeah. all about the glide, and all about the turn. <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah, that feeling, man, wind in your face, like I mean, just you get. I mean, we've all felt it as yeah, yeah. that like letting gravity, not fighting gravity. It's like the only time in our life that we we play with gravity and embrace it and and use it. For, and and I yeah just I don't know you know I I don't um, I always like especially with my snowboarding I'm like you know what if I don't if I hit that point where I don't like it anymore I'm I'll move to the beach or what have you and and then the but the reality and I'm totally at peace with that I, it, like there if I don't want to go snowboarding I'm not going snowboarding yeah. but I I gotcha. mean I'm snowboarding now more than ever um and so i i don't know it's you'll be getting excited when that first dusting comes into the sierras oh just to watch snow fall down um i have this outdoor light that i turn on and just it's a it electrifies me yeah well well it's that's an awesome way to wrap things up i reckon jeremy thanks um yeah well that's good uh, thanks for joining us here on the Chill Factor podcast. It's um, really good. Yeah, you know, Chill Factor, we're a ski magazine, but we have a broad, <laughs> all-welcoming uh, here, and I think it's really great to hear your perspective on the mountains, snow, the purity of uh, what, what we're able to do, and obviously um, all your commitment to trying to help the world as far as the earth goes. Well, thank you for that. Thanks for the opportunity, and, and to be clear, I, I – ski uphill a shit ton um, <laughs> i know you do and i never choose my um riding partners by what's on their feet it's it's their attitude yeah. uh, so i'm colorblind on that stuff and um i think that's common then, yeah kids like my son my kids half you know 
they don't care. They're just together. I think the uh, yeah. snowboarding skiing thing. Hopefully, it was got left in '94. <laughs> I think it did, and, and it went. If, if you get to see pockets of it, it's kind of fun. But yeah. yeah, my kids are the same way. They they it's irrelevant what you're on. Um, and I just want to say to Australia, I don't know when this is going to come out, but um, but man, I know you guys. Uh, you know, not being able to ride get out and ride and stuff that's that's heavy heavy stuff so thoughts are with you and um yeah it's good time to pick up meditating which i don't do enough of but i keep hearing how good it is for you yeah i sort of do mine just walk out the back of the hill somewhere <laughs> oh nice cool well all right jerry well thanks again and yeah all the best hope you guys have a great winter in tahoe Cheers. Thank you. And um, good catching up. We'll talk to you later. Okay. See ya. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up another Chill Factor podcast. If you enjoyed it, please rate, review, and share it with friends. We'll drop the next episode in a couple of weeks. Until then, I hope you get out and live and love Australian skiing. Find us at chillfactor.com. He's your curly handmate who's ready to go. Nobody knows snow like reggae or snow. He's ready to blow like an atomic reactor. This is the show.